heard a phrase over the past several years of make America great again. Title of my message this morning is Make America Godly Again. The only way that America is going to be great is if America is godly. That is our hope today. The Bible tells us in our text here, blesses the nation whose God is the Lord. Verse, and when we think about that, it doesn't say, blesses the nation with who's ever in the White House. Blessed is the nation whose stocks are on the rise. Blessed is the nation who gets rid of COVID. Blessed is the nation who moves all their factories back from every other country. Blessed is the nation whose border wall is built. Doesn't say that. Blessed is the nation who's got a friend. No, never mind, I'll stop there. I was going to keep on going. We'll see, I think you get the point. We need, if we're going to be, if America's going to be great, America must be godly. That's what we need. The verses we read says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We read in verse 22, it says, As we hope in thee. Verse number 16 tells us that no king can save a multitude of hosts. There's no government that can. No mighty man can deliver us with their strength. Verse 17 talks about how a horse is a vain thing for safety. And I was talking about their military of that day. So for us, tanks don't bring safety. Our only hope today is in the Lord. And what this passage teaches us and shows us is that if America is going to be great again, America must be godly. That's what we need today. And we have lost sight of that in our country today. What, who is God in America today? I think we can look at our past and look throughout and say, the God of heaven, the God of the Bible, he's our God. But really today in 2020, is the God of heaven the God of America? I would say no. I would say self is God today. Do as we please, what we like. It's all about us. It's about our financial future. It's all about everything about us. We idolize self. We don't promote God anymore. And as we get to this today, our only hope for our country today is for our country to get godly again. I am worried for America. And I think you should be worried as well today. Our freedoms are slipping right out from underneath us. We are a very young country in respect to so many other countries. We have a great foundation, a great beginning, great founding fathers that based this nation on the word of God. And what we have today in 2020 is we have a group of radical people out there. They're trying to destroy the foundation from which this country was built. If the foundations are destroyed, the Bible says, what can the righteous do? And there are these people out there today, they're trying to tear down everything that our country has stood for. Trying to get rid of God. You go to a public school and you look at a textbook and you show me where it says anything about God being in the family. No, these men want nothing to do with God and that's a lie. We talk about that this morning. I am praying for America to be great again. But it will only happen if we get godly again. We're going to look at some positive things this morning about our country. And we're going to look at some negative things about our country. 
But may I remind you of something? Even with all her faults, America is still the greatest country on the face of the planet today. And if you don't agree, we'll round up money and fly you someplace else, and you go live there. We hear so many people about how awful it is here, then go someplace else. In fact, half of them said they were going to leave when Trump won anyways, and they're still here. They should have left in 2016. It would have been great. Just leave. You don't like it here? Go someplace else. If America's so bad, why does everyone still want to get here? If we're systematically racist like they tell us, why do people still want to come to America? There are racism issues, and there should be none. There should be none. But it's a small majority. What you have is people running with that, going back and looking at all of our founding fathers. They were all awful! The New York Times writes an article about 1619. The New York Times doesn't know how to write stuff about today. Why would you trust them about history? The only thing the New York Times newspaper is good for if you're in the woods and you don't have toilet paper. That's about the only thing it's good for. And just about every other news organization, same thing. It's garbage. You say, well, pastor, I don't know if I like that. Tough, that's okay. What makes America great? When we think about our country, we think about the beauty. We have a beautiful country we live in. Just think about where we live in California. Man, the politics stink in California. I think most of you would agree with me on that. If you don't agree with me, you just don't. I don't know. But anyways, but we have the ocean. Well, you can't go to the ocean today because, you know. <laughs> the beach. You're not, it's not okay to be outside in fresh air. Stay away from the beach, okay? Don't go to the beach. You know, if we're being honest, the... The Constitution of California states the fact that we have a right to the beaches. It does, but that's okay. So, but you can go to the beach an hour one way. You can go up to the mountains an hour another way. If you're the <coughs> desert type folks that like the desert, it's too hot out there for me, but if you like the desert, it's not that far away. There's so much beauty in our country, and just where we live. Think of the ocean. You think of the, you think of the cities, the skyscrapers at night. Now, I've lived near Chicago. I love, I love Chicago. It looks nice and beautiful, that, but you get down on the streets, it's not quite so beautiful as that. When we talk about problems, is anybody talking about the almost 20 people that were shot to death last night in Chicago? No, we don't talk about that. Every weekend, several people are dying and say being shot to death. We don't hear much about that. Let's defund the police, right? Beautiful mountains, snow. But if the beauty is what makes America great, beauty is only skin deep, isn't it? Beauty can be deceitful. Beauty pain, all sex. And the ugly can go all the way to the bone. Outwardly, there might be a lot of beauty, but that's not what makes America great. Why is America great? The gr what's the greatness in America? America is, what about because of our freedoms? The United States is 244 years old as of yesterday. 
That is so young. You think about Egypt. Egypt's mentioned in the Bible. Egypt is probably five to 6,000 years old. And we're 244 years old. <coughs> think about how, how young America is. Think about it in this light. When Thomas Jefferson died, Abraham Lincoln was 17 years old. When Lincoln was assassinated, Woodrow Wilson was eight years old. And by the time he died, Ronald Reagan was 12 years old. You basically could see in four men the entire length of history, four generations, is all that America's been around. We're a child. We're young. But I'll tell you this. It's a long time for a nation to remain free. You don't see it very often. There's a trend today in America for anti-Americanism, anti-patriotism, and it's a big deal today. So why is it a big deal? Do you realize in order for the Lord to come back, we must have a one-world government? Right? That plays into it. A one-world government and a one-world church. It goes hand-in-hand together. As long as America succeeds, there cannot be a one-world order. America is going to have to fail at some point. Say, is, it, is now the time? Then if that's the case, even so come, Lord Jesus, I'm ready. Amen. But if it's not the time, we've got to stand for our freedom. There are those that try to revise our history, the character and integrity of our founding fathers, and say they weren't who they say they were. They say that our founding fathers were motivated by, not by principle, but because they wanted property. They say they were motivated by greed and their desire for wealth. But I want you to know something this morning. That's not true. Those men that signed that precious document right there were willing to give of their lives for freedom. The men who signed the Declaration of Independence had far more to lose than to gain. Most of them were already wealthy. They didn't need more wealth. 24 of them were lawyers. Nine were landowners or rich farmers. 11 were merchants. Others were physicians, ministers, politicians. All but two that signed had families. They were educated, men of standing in their communities. They, had, they knew security. They had prosperity. But they felt there was something more important than security, and that was freedom. They knew that the penalty for treason was hanging, yet they signed it. As you can see, and it's a little small there, but the biggest signature on there comes from a man by the name of John Hancock. He signed it twice as large as the others, and this is what he said. Now his majesty can read my name without his spectacles. (laughs) Stephen Hopkins was pretty old when he signed. His hand shook as he signed looked up and said, Gentlemen, my hand trembles, but my heart does not. Four delegates from New York were particularly wealthy. British ships were nearing just a few miles off the coast when they signed, and most of New York had already been evacuated. They, then there were others who were pursued, some were captured and tortured, and many gave their lives so that we could have the freedom we have today. You see, young people today, you need to know something, that when you see that flag right there, that that flag stands for something today. 
that there are many people. The red on that flag stands for the blood that's been shed by many so that we could have the freedoms we have today. And yet so many treat that flag with disrespect. So many will burn that flag in an, in, in an ignorant demonstration. It's not freedom of speech. To me, it's treason. Leave my flag alone. Quit kneeling before my flag. We kneel before God. That's who we kneel before. Stand up when the national anthem is played. Put your hand over your heart. Do the right thing. Because you didn't fight for that. You've been given the freedom you've been given. And most of the people sitting in this room understand what I'm saying. The younger generation today is missing out on that. And we need to learn what patriotism is all over again. And stand up for what's right today. Freedom. Thank God for the freedom that we have. That's why our founding fathers would shake their heads at churches that wouldn't sing this morning. They fought to give us the freedom to do what we do today. They got away from oppressive governments. Not to bring in oppressive dictators. But do you know something? Our freedom, as great as it is, it's not what makes America great. What makes America great? What made the founding of our nation great? Our God. The God of America. Just as revisionists try to rewrite history in order to undermine the character and integrity of our founding fathers, they also want to undermine the godly heritage that we've been given. They try to tell us that our nation was not founded upon God. Why can't some Americans just accept their roots? This nation was founded as a nation under God. Even a South American president years ago said, People came to my continent looking for gold, but those who came to America were looking for God. In 1620... The first pilgrims arrived. A little band of people crossed the Atlantic in a sailboat, 26 by 113 feet. They landed on the Atlantic coast in the bitter cold of winter. As they stepped out of the Mayflower, they signed a compact. The second paragraph of the Mayflower compact says this, For the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, that's why they came. That first winter was rough on them. At times, the daily ration of food was five grains of corn per person per day. Forty-four of them died in the first five months, and 58 of them survived. In the fall of 1621, they reaped their first harvest, 21 acres of corn. Their immediate response was to thank God. They marched around those fields, quoting, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. On December 13th, those 58 gathered with 80 friendly Indians and celebrated three days of Thanksgiving, which the encyclopedia records as three days of preaching, praying, singing, and eating. Your public school textbook today 
would say that the pilgrims and Indians met to thank each other for not killing each other, not to thank God. They met to thank God for his blessing upon this land. In 1863, President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national day of thanksgiving. In his proclamation, he made an important and accurate statement on thanksgiving. Listen to this. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, I think this fits today as well, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. And no, he didn't believe in God, did he? The Puritans, they gave their reason for coming to America as well. In the opening sequence of the New England Confederation, it says, Whereas we all came into these parts of America with one and the same aim, end and aim, to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in liberty and peace. Don't try to tell me they didn't believe in God. Benjamin Franklin, who once ch was challenged by having a, politi a political session open with prayer, said, I've lived for a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proof I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men, and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. Another one of our founders. In case you didn't know it, and in case you say, well, there's separation of church and state. Find that in the founding document of ours. You will not find it. Do you know you will find it, though, in Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto? You'll find it there. And a lot of our politicians, that's one of their favorite books. And many thesis statements have been written on that book. Hillary Clinton, that's what she did her thesis statement on. Oh, did I mention Hillary Clinton's name? I didn't mention that name. I wonder if her husband's going to get in trouble with all this uh, Epstein stuff coming out. Anyways, I need to get off of all of that. <laughs> Separation of church and state. The one time it's mentioned, a group of Baptists wrote Thomas Jefferson. And they wrote him and said they wanted to make sure that we were going to be free. And he assured them. He said, never again, this is what Thomas Jefferson told them, will there be a government-sponsored church that will force you to attend and support it. That's why the First Amendment of the Constitution says, Congress shall make no law respecting any establishment of religion. 
or, get this, prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's what it says. We need God in our country, but the government needs to stay out of the church. We don't need the government here. We don't need your help. Stay out. If someone picks up on Facebook or on YouTube and you're watching it, the government doesn't have a place in here. We are governed here by this book. And this book only. And it will tell me when to sing and how to sing. And no government leader will do it. And that's what the Constitution states. That's what the amendment says. And all those who say, and you look, you look at our leaders in our, in our state, you can go protest, peacefully protest. It's, it's a right. They even said, I heard someone the other day, if they decide to close more things down, they're not going to stop people from protesting. It's a constitutional right. What a bunch of hypocrites. Because my constitutional right is to be in church. And the free exercise thereof, they have no say in here. Government needs to get out of church. But we need a whole bunch of God in government. Our, our country wasn't founded upon God. That's what they like to tell us. First colony, Jamestown, Virginia. The first community building that they built. Does anybody know what it was? It's a church. It's the only thing with all four walls still standing today. Puritans first act at Plymouth Rock. What did they do? They kneeled and praised God and dedicated the new colony to God. Roger Williams, a Baptist pastor, which was a character, quite a character. He established Rhode Island. Lord Baltimore held services, church services in Maryland. William Penn Quaker established Pennsylvania, New York, Delaware, Connecticut, North and South Carolina, and Georgia. William William Penn, that we just mentioned in writing government policies for Pennsylvania, made sure all treasurers, judges, and all elected officials professed faith in Christ. Wouldn't that help us if politicians actually knew who God was? Our founding fathers consistently spoke of the need for utilizing the Bible and Judeo-Christian values in defining and preserving this nation. You know, 12 of the original 13 colonies incorporated the entire Ten Commandments into their civil and criminal codes. Yet today they want to get rid of anything to do with the Ten Commandments. Our first president, George Washington, when he took oath of office, the first president, what did he put his hand on? The Bible. What was his first act as president? He kissed the Bible and held a two-hour praise and worship session in Congress. But this nation wasn't founded upon God, was it? What, um, how did they determine to open session in Congress? What did they do? To, what did they do? They pray. Who would lead those prayers? Chaplains. How would they be paid by tax dollars? That sounds like they're trying to keep God out of government, doesn't it? By the way, opening in prayer is kind of interesting. That Congress still does it, but boys and girls aren't allowed to in school. Who decided that in God we trust would be on our money? Congress did in 1956. In 1777, um, actually in 1776, 11 of the 13 colonies required one had to be a Christian to be eligible for political office. Wouldn't that, man, that could change things today, wouldn't it? In seven, 
I wonder how many of you knew this. In 1777, Congress voted to spend $300,000. Does anybody know what Congress spent $300,000 for in 1777? For Bibles to distribute to the people of America. Congress did that in 1777. Anybody know that? Well, that's because this nation wasn't founded upon God or godly principles, was it? John Adams stated, The law given from Sinai was a civil and municipal code as well as a moral and religious code. Ninety-four percent of the writings of our founding fathers of the U.S. contain quotations from the Holy Scriptures at least once in their writings. All state constitutions mention God, even California. The famous Liberty Bell has part of Leviticus 25.10 written on it, proclaiming liberty throughout all the land and the inhabitants thereof. Anybody know what building this is? The City Hall of Los Angeles right there. Anybody know what is written inside of City Hall here in Los Angeles? You don't know. Proverbs 14.34. I wish Mayor Garcetti would read it. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It's written in City Hall here in Los Angeles. But they didn't want you to know anything about God, did they? Anybody know where that's at? The Speaker of the House of Representatives has to look at that every time she sits there. I wish Moses could shake his head at her. And poor Moses having to look at Pelosi every day. <coughs> did I just say that? I did just say that, didn't I? The entering president takes his oath of office with his right hand on what? The Bible. And he concludes by saying, so help me. God. But they didn't want God a part of things, did they? But I know what building that is. It's the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Up in the center, and there's a little, it's blown up there a little bit, the center of the, um, there are several lawgivers up there. The central one is Moses. Each session of the Supreme Court begins with the phrase, God save the United States in this honorable court. But they didn't want God a part of it, did they? First Vice President, Second President of the United States, John Adams, wrote in 1798, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to govern to the government of any other. Might be why so many people don't like it today. They don't want anything to do with righteous things. His son, John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, wrote, No book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated upon as the Bible. Thomas Jefferson said this, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. In 1781. Theodore Roosevelt, our 26th president, wrote, In this actual world, a churchless community a community where people have abandoned and scoffed at or ignored their religious need is a community on the rapid downgrade in 1917. But none of our people believed in God, right? 
Woodrow Wilson, our 28th president, and the governor of New Jersey, and you know, the governor of New Jersey now, Mr. Phil Murphy, says it's above his pay grade to know what the Constitution says. They asked him why you could close churches but leave, bar, leave, uh, leave pot shops open and leave alcohol sales. And he said, he said, that's above my pay grade to know what the Constitution says. And every politician, from the president to the governor to any House, state representatives, to the police, they all swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And sir, if you don't know and it's above your pay grade, then get out of office. You have no business being there if you can't stand up and defend our Constitution. Back to what Woodrow Wilson said in 1911. America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness that are derived from the revelation of Holy Scripture. Calvin Coolidge, our 30th president, said about our founding fathers, they were intent upon establishing a Christian commonwealth in accordance with the principles of self-government, they were an inspired body of men. It has been said that God sifted the nations that he might send choice grain into the wilderness. Who can fail to see it in the hand of destiny? Who can doubt that it has been guided by divine providence? Franklin Roosevelt prayed this prayer on D-Day. June 6, 1944, as the troops stormed the beaches of Normandy, Almighty God... With thy blessing we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogance. Lead us to the saving of our country. Thy will be done. Almighty God. Amen. Harry Truman, our 33rd president, he was not known to be a believer. Understood the spiritual heritage of this nation, though. Listen to what an unbeliever said. If men and nations would but live by the precepts of the ancient prophets and the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, problems which now seem so difficult would soon disappear. It's an unsaved man said that. Gerald Ford, Gerald Ford, our 38th president, quoted a speech from Dwight D. Eisenhower in 1955. Without God, there could be no American form of government, nor an American way of life. Recognition of the supreme being is the first, the most basic expression of Americanism. Thus, the founding fathers of America saw it, and thus, with God's help, it will continue to be. One of my favorite presidents, Ronald Reagan, said, If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be one nation gone under. It's time for the modern day Christian in America to wake up. It's time for us to realize that we got to stand for what our founders stood for. The greatness of America, yes, our freedoms are great, but we only have our freedoms because of the God of America. The God of America is the one and the only true living God. He's Jehovah. He's the Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we truly want to be great again, then we must put God back in his rightful place in our country today. 
We sing the song, God bless America. Then let's put God back where he belongs today. We look at our country, the beauty, the freedoms, our God. But we see the guilt in America today. The problems. Say, Pastor, what's the guilt? What's our biggest problem today? The guilt of America lies in the indifference and the complacency of God's people. Think Edmund Burke said, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. I'll repeat that for you. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Read the book of Judges clearly. Our God would rather forgive and restore than judge. But over and over again, Israel would turn their back on their godly heritage, and then they would repent, and God would forgive them and restore them, but it was always conditional. And they are God's chosen people. Let me remind you of something. America is not God's chosen people. That's the Jews, but God's been very good, and God helped establish this land. I'm a firm believer in it. You read the stories. I believe George Washington should have died well before our country was founded. They talk about even the bullet holes in his coat. God had a hand in everything. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and will heal their lands. Say, Pastor, that was a promise to Israel. Duh, I know that. I'll be the first one to tell you. But there's a biblical principle found in there for us. The solution today is not the White House. The solution is not who's in the State House. The solution is not who's in the courthouse. But the solution's in God's house. And in your house and in my house. So long as there are homes where fires burn and there is bread... So long as there are homes where lamps are lit and prayers are said, although people falter through the dark and nations grope, with God himself behind these homes, we still have hope. Four things I want to give you real quickly as we close this morning. Four things every Christian must do for their government if they're going to obey the word of God. Number one, pray for your government. Pray. So the Bible says, 1 Timothy 2, verse number 1, I exhort therefore the first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. We need to pray for our government. We need to pray for our governor. We need to pray for our elected officials. The Bible tells us the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water eternal that whithersoever he will. You could look in Daniel's day. You could look in Nehemiah's day and you could see all these heathen kings who God worked through to do a work in his people. And if God could work in Nebuchadnezzar and if God could work in Cyrus or in Darius or in Artaxerxes, guess what? He can work in Gavin Newsom today. We need to pray for him today. 
We need to be praying for all of those in government. Hey, Christian, get before God. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for revival. We need to pray for elections. We need to pray for God to use our leaders. We need to pray for our country today. We ought to pray for government number two. We need to praise our nation. I'm so tired of people talking so bad about it. That's all we ever hear anymore. Despite all of our problems, people still want to come to the United States of America. We need a revival of good old-fashioned patriotism. You need to teach that to our young kids today and teach them what patriotism is all about and respect for that flag. We don't respect that flag anymore. And it's a shame. Too many people gave their lives so we could have that flag. Number three, we need to participate in government. It's unconceivable that God would ordain government such as he has and then tell his people to stay out of it. Participate. Be informed. If you knew all the crazy legislature that goes through the House here in California, it's absolute craziness. They're trying to pass a bill, and I don't know if it passed it or not, where um, the state will pay for sex changes. So your tax dollars are going to pay for someone's sex change. We need to be informed. We need to stand up. I was going to see how many pastors wanted to go with me. I was going to go to Sacramento tomorrow and go stand on the steps and sing all day long. <laughs> Bring my little box with me right there, play some music in the background, and just sing at the top of my lungs on the steps of, in Sacramento. It's a protest. You know, like if someone's got a problem that we're in church here today, we're protesting. All right to meet. If they want to call it that, they can call it whatever they want. But anyways, so participate. Shame on Christians who pledge their allegiance to the flag and don't take action. Shame on Christians who pledge their allegiance to a political party instead of biblical principles. I'm not going to park here long, but I'm going to park here for a second. I'm already in the parking stall and I'm getting out of the car. In a couple weeks, I'm going to give you a paper that has the Republican Party platform and the Democratic Party platform and where they stand. I don't know how a Christian could be a Democrat. Now, listen to me for a second, because that might have offended some of you. Now, I vote biblical principles. There are some Republicans I won't vote for. I vote biblically based. But if you're a Christian and you voted Gavin Newsom as our governor, and he is for abortion strongly, and if you haven't read his post the past few days, he's so, he was so thankful for the month of June. Now his city led gay marriage a few years back, San Francisco. If you can vote for someone on those principles just because you're, there's something wrong, it's not biblical. And I'm not telling you every Republican is biblical. I'm not telling you every Democrat is not biblical. Study up before you vote for someone. Look at the Bible and go biblically based. There have been a few times in my years of voting where I actually voted for a Democrat. They believed in the Bible and they were standing better than the Republican was. 
I'm, I would consider myself a conservative Republican. And I, I was living in Indiana at the time, I wasn't living in California. Most of, the, most of the Democrats here, they're like, they're out in left field, beyond left field. They've gotten so far off on it. But not all of them. But don't base it, don't say, oh, I'm just voting, I'm Republican, so circling all the Republicans. Go online. Look at what they stand for, what they believe, and vote biblically. You say, I'm a, I'm a Democrat. Okay. So go online and study the Democrat and see where they stand. And don't vote party-based. Vote biblically. That's what we need today. And now some of you are done listening to me, and that's okay. Biblical principles are important. And then, lastly, number four, we need to work on persuading government. Say, what do you mean by persuading government? I'm not saying you go to the Capitol with a gun in your hand like they did in, in Michigan, where people go to their protesting there and they take their guns into the state house. That's not what I'm talking about. If we're being honest, and let's be honest here, all of our elected officials that we have, the people voted them in. So in all honesty, the people of California wanted Gavin Newsom as their governor. I didn't, vote, I didn't vote that way either, but the majority of people did. That's why he is the governor. A majority of people in California in the last election voted for the other candidate. So how do we persuade people? I use the word persuade. It might not sound like the best thing, but in all honesty, what I'm saying is we've got to get people the word of God. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There needs, to be to, there needs to be hearts changed in California. And I can't change hearts. We look at all the craziness around us today. The only answer is Jesus Christ. He's the truth. People ask me, Pastor, what news is true? Is any of it true? I think there's bits and pieces that are true, but what is there an ultimate news source you can go to that you say it's, it's for sure true. I don't think you can say that. Is there a politician that you can believe everything that they say? No. I personally, and this, and I'm not trying, and like I said, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I, I support Trump. I do. I might not agree with everything he says, and sometimes he tweets things and he just needs to calm down a little bit sometimes on the things that he does. But this is the thing. He doesn't always tell the truth either. No one does. I don't believe every politician everything that they say. The only source of true truth is the book. And how can we get people to do what's right? How can we make America godly again? By getting people the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how. People need the Lord. Our country is falling apart before our eyes. And I'm not going to stand back and do nothing about it. Our kids deserve a future. And if you think the things that we're doing now, that they're actually headed in the right direction, they're not. We need God. God is key. And Christian, it's time for us to do what's right. You know, God doesn't judge a nation 
based on the heathen? Who does he base it on? His people. So if his people, which are called by his name, humble themselves and pray, we look and we're like, oh man, our government's the problem, or this, those people are the problem, the left's the problem, the right, all the, no, no, no. If God's people would do what's right, and would humble themselves and pray and seek God's base and turn from their wicked ways, then he'd fill our lands. That starts with us. Tonight, my message will be based on the title of its hindrances to revival. What's, what's going to hinder God from doing a work in us? We're going to look at that verse that's on the screen there tonight. And uh, this evening, I don't know, I, we, um, we mentioned a few weeks ago that we were having a 4th of July barbecue at a time of fellowship together. We're still having that tonight. We're moving the service to 7 p.m. Service is going to be a little later tonight. We're going to do it outside. We're not going to be in here. We're going to be outside. It'll be cool by then. And uh, we'll have the service outside. Um, I didn't know how many people were going to come. And when I had like up to 90, 95 people say they were going to come, I just think that's pushing a few too many people in the room in here to this point. And so we're going to do it outside. And uh, we're going to barbecue. And we'll have our, bring your lawn chairs if you want. And then we'll have fireworks. We'll have some patriotic music. And we'll keep it very simple. One of the things that I believe right now, like someone's pastor, you said, let's just have a regular barbecue, be here at four, go all out, have volleyball. I want to, and I see what you're saying, but the most important thing that we do right now is to preach the gospel and have church. So we need to be, we got to be wise in the things that we do because governments can do their best to look for any little thing that we do. They got their little eyes open on any little thing. So what do we need to do? We need to just, we need to do what's right, stand up for what's right, but we also need to be safe in the things that we do. And so let it just be a good reminder to you today to keep being safe in the things that you do. Make sure you have a temperature or you have a cough or a cold. Stay home and don't come to church. It's still all online. Keep doing that. If, you, uh, if you're sick, just, it's just better. We don't need that going around. You know, get Victory Baptist Church in the news. That's like the last thing that we want, right? Getting them and then getting us in the news for that. Someone's like, you want publicity? Not that publicity. We don't want that. <laughs> we just want to be, be smart in the things that we do and be safe. And that's a good thing. And if you sneeze, cover your sneeze when you do it. So good job there, Martha. But Martha, you got to do it with your, you got to do it more with your elbow than the hand. So no one shake Martha's hand because she has sneezed with her hand. So Martha, just giving you a hard time. But I love our country. We're going to celebrate tonight, have a great time together. And so, thanks for being here this morning. If you didn't get, I had a copy for everyone today, a copy of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. If you